All right, welcome everybody. Episode number 43 of Sports Cards Live. Saturday night, September the 5th. Welcome everyone to the show. Really excited tonight. We have none other than Bobby Burrell, the preeminent historian and author in vintage in the world of vintage hockey within our hobby. Super happy to have him here. He's got some great information, some great insights, and then tons of experience in the hobby. So we're going to bring him out shortly. I want to start out by thanking last Saturday's guest, well, guests, Justin Kramer uh, of Kramer Collectibles Consignment. It's a tongue twister. Kramer's Collectibles Consulting. We had an awesome discussion uh, last Saturday around all things, um, really making a living in the hobby and uh, and how to keep thing, how to keep the hobby and collecting sort of on their own separately, if you will. I also want to thank Charles Hind, the 15-year-old vintage hockey collector that joined me last Saturday late night for After Hours. We had a we had an, an awesome discussion. Great feedback on both those episodes. Lots specifically on the Charles from After Hours. People really liked him and uh, feel that the hobby is in good hands moving forward. And I certainly agree with that. An outstanding young man. Uh, this coming Wednesday, Stephen LaRoche of um, former Beckett editor. And he's written cardbacks for several companies and a, a, a writer. He's got tons of experience in the hobby. So looking forward to having Stephen on with me next Wednesday. And then next Saturday is Upper Deck's Chris Carlin. We're going to have a, a discussion about kind of doing good in the hobby. And uh, I'm sure that'll be really interesting. Chris always has a lot of interesting things to say and to share. So, and he's got a great energy. So looking forward to having Chris on next Saturday. Don't forget tonight, after this episode, we have After Hours, yet again, After Hours. And my guest will be Brian Palmer. He's a passionate collector, a, a guy I've known for a while through the hobby, through the Toronto Expo. And I'm looking forward to having him on for a nice relaxing way to wind down Saturday night. Want to welcome all new viewers. I want to thank Bobby Burrell for uh, bringing new viewers to the show tonight. And if you are new, thank you for joining us. If you would subscribe to the YouTube channel, I'd greatly appreciate that. That would be awesome. We are up to 1,055 subscribers right now, so that's pretty cool. The 2,000 is probably uh, maybe by the end of the year. We'll see, but uh, we're, we're, we're chipping away at it. Uh, don't forget, guys, throughout the evening tonight, your comments and your questions will be in play. I see them coming in already right now. We'll get to those shortly. So um, feel free to ask your ask questions of Bobby. He's truly a resource in this hobby, an informational resource. So be sure to put your questions in the in the in the comments. Make comments, whatever you want. We'll try to address all of them. And uh, and hey, how about those Raptors that uh, that buzzer beater last night by OG Ananobi, and then tonight they 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 win again. And so the series is the best of three now. Whoa, it was almost three nothing there, and who knows if they would have clawed back. So that was pretty exciting for all you Canadian basketball fans, of which I am among you. All right, let's bring out tonight's guest, Bobby Burrell. Bobby, welcome to Sports Cards Live, episode number 43. It is truly an honor to have you here, my friend. How are you? Uh, thanks, Jeremy. It's great. Great to be here and uh, doing well. Good, good. Did you catch any of that basketball game tonight? Are you, are you following the Raptors? Yeah, I am following the Raptors a little bit, and uh, I thought it was a great game. The other one the other night with the half a second left was crazy. You know, it's just, it reminds me of the 93 Leafs again, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that was great. It, great it was. I was watching, I was kind of lying in bed, and when, you know, half a second's left, the Celtics are celebrating, and I'm like, oh, this is, it's done. Oh, well, there goes the season. And next thing you yeah. know, I mean, we all saw that play. The pass by Lowry, who is on a mission right now. He had another great night tonight. And that shot by OG, a miracle shot. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Made me super happy. It was great to see. And now, uh, who knows? I mean, it looks like momentum is on their side. So 
that's game what, coming up. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And the Islanders look like they're moving on tonight too. So we know what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the conference finals and things will move forward. Okay, so Bobby, um, you know, I always start out the show by really introducing you to the to the <clears> viewers <throat> by sort of explaining how do you and I know each other? What what brought you on the show today? And um, really, I mean, I'll start out by saying that I've known you for a while, uh, mostly through being at card shows. And um, I think I just I reached out to you a few days ago and said, hey, are you interested in coming on the show? And we went back and forth. And uh, and here you are today. You graciously accepted, for which I'm quite thankful. Do you recall when we first met? I mean, it's tough to nail it down. It's been a long time. But what, what do you remember? Well, the exact time, it was at the Sports Card Expo, of course. That's where I met most of my friends in the hobby. Um, I remember that uh, I was always saying, who is that tall guy? Because uh, uh, Jerry's very tall, not very not. Um, so who's that tall guy always filming everything? His head's in the way, and we're always trying to get around him. And uh, when we unveiled the 64 tall boy sheet, uh, I had a friend videotaping. He was trying to get around you because you had the Newman jersey on, and it was really funny. So uh, we had a great time. Um, and then we slowly got to meet each other a little bit at a time. And uh, your appreciation for Opeachy and uh, your vintage, uh, you know, because we had a booth set up there. And uh, we set up in 2000 and uh, just my first book, I guess, just before 2003, uh, when I set up there. And uh, we kept on hanging out at other people's booths because we were just collectors. We're collectors, you know, first and foremost. And then uh, after that, we said, why don't we get a booth? I got to sell my books and throw a few things on the table. And we had a place to hang our hat. Yeah. So it was kind of fun. So, you know, a group of four of us got together and we, we got a booth. And, and that's how you got to know us uh, over time, coming by, dropping by, you know, buying some stuff or just talking shop. It was really fun. Well, yeah, because so. the stuff that you and, and your, your booth mates display at the expo is kind of unlike anything else. Plus, you're obviously known in, in the hobby, at least in, in the hockey hobby, as someone who always uncovers rare items. You you have all sorts of oddball things. And and I mean, I've got, I've picked, I, I always come by your booth. And I'm like, Bobby, what do you have for me this show? <laughs> yeah, you know? and, and there were times, there were a couple of shows where you actually brought things kind of specifically with with my name on them. And uh, and I have them all sort of laid out around me to, to show people the kind of stuff that I've managed to acquire from you. And they're all prized possessions. I mean, I and I want to stress that to you, that anytime you've sold me something, I've truly... Uh, enjoyed taking over um, the ownership of that of that item and being able to sort of like babysit it through its next its next phase of of history, if you will. There there are some really unique and cool items. And I'm gonna show, we're gonna we're gonna show them to the to the viewers here uh, shortly, right? Um, but yeah, I I remember. I'm I'm gonna start with one item I do remember, which was probably the first really what I thought was a really cool item I bought from you is, and this has got to be we're probably talking about 2000 and eight maybe 2007 eight nine in there somewhere i see you got to hear this guys i see bobby he's walking down the aisle of of the expo and i'm at my booth and i see him coming from afar and he's got this big monster umbrella which is i have it lying right here okay right here and he's twirling it over his shoulder and i'm just going to get up and show it to everybody because it's it's pretty cool very historical Right, so he's twirling this thing over his shoulder, and it says OPG chewing gum. It's got each of the panels sort of has a there's a couple different type of uh, graphics on it here, and I see him twirling this thing, and I see OPG in big bold uh, letters and chewing gum, and you know you can see a lingering freshness. OPG chewing gum, it's so good. What does that mean? It suits it suits all tastes. 
One might say I was taunting you. Yeah, smooth and lasting. I mean, this is how they advertised bubblegum back in the day. And it's, what does that say? It's merits, it merits the tongue can tell. It's merits the tongue can tell. Flavor for every taste. So I see Bobby walking around. Let me put this back where it goes. There we go. So anyway, sorry about that, guys. I see Bobby walking up the aisle towards, I mean, he's twirling this big thing. And I'm like, that is awesome. I say, Bobby, is that for sale? He's like, yeah, I'll probably sell it. Anyway, I went and saw you a little bit later. I said, hold it for me. I went and came and saw you a little bit later, I think. And uh, and we made a deal for it. And you actually shipped it to me because it was pretty bulky. And I fly in and you're local. So yeah. that was that was the first item I bought from you. And then I think the next thing I bought from you were these. You can see them over my shoulder here, these old boxes. These are old. And maybe you can tell a bit about them. But they're, they're old gum boxes made by companies that went on to make sports cards, hockey cards in particular. There's Parkhurst, there's Fleer. Can you, do you remember those, Bob? Yeah, I do remember them quite well. Um, there's the Parkhurst box, which was their zip gum. Uh, yeah, that came right. out in about 1958. If anybody knows out there, uh, uh, the wrappers uh, from uh, Parkhurst, uh, zip started in 1957 uh, with the hockey card, uh, the 57 that said zip on it and 58. Um, and that is one of the classic boxes um, from them. So you, they'd have have it full of those uh, one cent gums, uh, individually wrapped, and uh, that was their mainstay product. Uh, I would say from that time on until they, actually even beyond '63 uh, when the company uh, amalgamated into Grant Products, um, they kept making the gum uh, beyond that, and actually a few other card sets too, which most people don't know as yeah. under underground products non-sports so right so that that's so that box you know that box is made by and, and what you did is you took these boxes you you expanded them again and then you had styrofoam cut to measure to put inside here to make sure that these things are nice and solid so it's, it's like a pretty they're pretty solid pieces they display really well they're then shrink wrapped and i've never done anything to them and uh and you actually i think you ended up shipping these to me as well because they were just bulky and how was i going to bring them home then uh -huh. you also you also had this one which I don't know much about it. Do you remember anything about this guy? The Hamilton, oh, Hamilton Chewing Gum. Of Hamilton Chewing Gum, yeah, another one. Uh, very much the same as the Parkhurst. Uh, Bubs was their classic line. Actually, in the States, they had Bubs as well. Uh, but uh, that's a classic early, uh, you know, 40s box. Yeah, and then this one is is Fleer. Fleer yeah, Double Fleer. Bubble. They and came out two cents. The price of gum went up from one penny to two penny, to two pennies. In 1949, yeah. I think that was the time that it went up two cents. Because uh, I'm a gum historian too. I've, you know, with uh, doing the historical research behind, uh, you know, cigarette and uh, gum companies, I also did the company research too, and I contacted as many people as possible, uh, going back to that time, uh, back in way back in 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. I love it. I love this this little decal right here. It says two dollars and forty extra profit i mean that's that was big money back then i suppose for and then there's this this little guy here this gypsy bubble gum what can you tell us about this piece well opeachy uh that was basically uh one of their first products uh, that's a little later box uh but that was their first product when they came out in 1911 uh gypsy gum um and it's a great product uh i think it had uh, comics inside it um and i think that one's probably 
somewhere in the 50s, 60s. Uh, they stopped Gypsy Gum, and I think in the 60s, so somewhere in around there. It's really hard to date uh, gum boxes. You know, they don't yeah. have any uh, printed date on them, so. They use the same box year over year. I would, I would think back that. Well, hey. they would change it. Uh, yeah, but maybe five, six, seven years, just like today. You know, everything's basically the same. Heinz ketchup comes in the same ketchup bottle for the how many years? You know, so yeah, of course. You know, they would run for their, and then they just rechange it just to uh, make more eyes look at it. I guess. Yeah, and then the most recent piece I bought. This is already several several years ago. The last few shows I've seen you, I haven't. There hasn't really been much for me to pick up, but this, that you know, that that I was looking for. For. You have lots of great stuff to pick up, but this is the most recent piece that you sold to me. And this is a, a an original check for, and I know the date is on here somewhere. It's from 1919, 1919, this check. And it's written from the Opichi Gum Company. And it's got uh, the signatures of the McDermott brothers on here who founded the Opichi Company. Exactly right. You know, McDermott's, uh, you know, Opeechee, um was Somerville gum prior to in 1889. I think it's that that's the date. Um, Opeechee, uh had started as Somerville gum. So um, Mr. Somerville uh, ran the gum company until 1907. And then McDermott Brothers took over from there. And uh, and then he finally sold it in 1910. He sold most of the gum products to Wrigley's and the Somerville. Uh, uh, they were also a box company because they made their own boxes. Uh, they separated and they took the box company. And then in 1911, they started making gum again because they already had the experience with working at Wrigley's. So um, the best part about all of that is that the McDermott brothers, you know, they started everything and they ran the company right through until Mr. Leahy took over in the uh, in the 50s. So very cool. It says right here, President J.K. McDermott and brother Duncan were the two brothers who started the infamously known Opeachy Gum Company in 1911, located in London, Ontario, Canada. Check signed by J.K. McDermott, right there. Yeah. So really neat, really neat piece. That uh, when I, when you showed me this, I don't know if you thought I'd want it, but I immediately wanted it. I. I thought, what a cool display item. And for me, it, it really, you know, I love this hobby so much. I don't just love the cards, which I obviously love, but I love the history of the hobby. I want to learn about it. I want to, you know, I want to know about it. I want to own pieces of the history. And you've been my, you've been my dealer, man. You're my, you're my, <laughs> you're my, you're my history dealer, right? When it comes to this stuff. So um, really, uh, you know, items that I do cherish. And uh, as you can see, I display them around me all the time. Uh, the umbrella, not so much because that thing's a beast. I'm, not really sure what I'm going to do with that in terms of displaying. I, it does stay in its box until I have a reason to show it. And what a great reason to show it tonight. Well, I, when I have you on with me, so um, awesome stuff. Let's uh, let's see who we have with us. Say hello. We got a, we got a several people watching. We've got some uh, comments coming in already. Okay. Um, Card currency in the house. Good evening, y'all. Excited for another great interview from Jeremy, and hope everyone has a blessed holiday weekend in the states at least. And wish you all the best down there as well. One hundred percent. Ernie Rondo, welcome to the show. Hello, hello to you. The Outer Limits. Hey, man. Oh my God. How are you doing? The Outer Limits. Great to see you, uh, Terry. Welcome as always. Absolute. Awesome. Good to see you. Good evening to you, Bill. How are you tonight? Good evening, all. Looking forward to hearing the tales of hobby history. Me too. Paul Cashman. Good evening to you. Brian Palmer, who will be joining me tonight on After Hours. Raptors win, Jays winning, and Sports Cars Live. It's going to be a good time. Thank you, brother. Landon Vath, welcome to the show, and hello to Minnesota. Patty Black, ah, 
friend of Bobby's, Patty Black. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to you as well. If you go back in time, what would you have changed specifically about Opeachy? Well, let's come back to that. That's a great question. Bobby, start thinking about that. Absolutely. Yeah. 1,055, uh, that's the subscriber count right now. It's a curse. I see the ad started. Seriously, congratulations on 1,000. Thank you for the congratulations on 1,000. Yeah, so with on, on YouTube, when you hit 1,000 subscribers, you start you can start getting ads on your channel, and then they end up you end up earning a little bit of money. And so far, I think for, since then, if, it, if I remember correctly, I'm at like $14 earned so far, so I'm raking it in so far, Ooh. guys. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And as uh, as Carlos said to me a while back, that you can pay for my, my Tim Hortons copies. Al, welcome to the show as always. Good evening to you. Hope you're doing well as well. Andy B, welcome. Any Celtics? There are Celtics fans here too. I'm sure there are. And, you know, um, but I got to say, I'm, 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 I'm cheering sort of against you here. But, uh, you know, good luck to you. Your team looks great as well. Brandon Babcock, good evening to you. Looking forward to another great interview. Thank you so much. Absolute. Bobby, welcome. Have you prepared for this marathon? See, some people know that we can go pretty long here. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. The shirt, see of the, day. shirt of the Day is my Steve Miller concert t-shirt that I picked up several years ago at a show here in Calgary. They play it. I think it was a stat during the Stampede. And I thought, you know what? It's kind of a, it's a vintage type shirt for me. It's a vintage themed evening. So I figured I'd wear that one. Tim, welcome to the show. You're late, but we're just getting started anyway. Terry, thank you for the comment on one of the pieces, I'm sure. Uh, Bill, love the OP chatings. I know you do, man. I know you do. Philip, welcome to the show. Simon, welcome to the show and hello to you. Matthew Payette, hello to you and welcome. And Carlos says, YouTube paid Timmy's coffee is always welcome and even more delicious, right, Carlos? Even more delicious. All right, guys, welcome to everybody. Uh, thanks again, Bobby, for joining. Uh, we see I see some new names uh, in the comments, so thank you for bringing new people, exposing them to the show, uh, Sports Cards Live. This is episode 43. There's 42 more episodes plus two after-hours episodes that live on the channel. Again, if you haven't subscribed, I'd appreciate it if you would. It, it, it helps the algorithm, whatever that means. I'm no mathematician, but I think it's good for something. And um, it's just great to have you and to grow the show, the audience, and to meet more people. So, Bobby, let's talk a bit about your history because you're, you know, it, sure. my perception of you is, as I mentioned, you're the preeminent expert on the history of the, of the hockey hobby vintage-wise. You've got books you've you've you know you've got websites i've got two of your books right here i mean this is the this is the first one no this is the first one that you put out the blue no. one this one i have a yellow one that was 2003 it was actually called the hockey wax pack collector's guide so it was basically about defining the um uh the wrappers the packs um and the boxes that came out in various years because prior to 2000 let's just say we really didn't know and we were listening to you know a lot of hearsay rumor popular opinion that was uh misguiding a lot of collectors and that's what kind of bothered me and thus this rest of the hobby right and so you kind of so you decided to answer the bell and uh put out some some information and document the hobby to, to based on all the knowledge that was in your head and that you had documented in your own excels and word docs and all that and you came out so the the first one here though is this one the blue one came second correct yeah second it came in 2006 so this is 06 this is it's called vintage hockey collector and then this one is also called it's sort of called vintage hockey collector it is but this is like the the updated the VHC. Version. it's the vhc yeah the, VHC, the, or the other one was vintage hockey collector this one came to be the vhc the vintage okay hockey collector. so okay. we you know put a moniker on it so 
Yeah, and that's cool. So, but I want to mention to the audience something about this book. This book is something that you sold out of a long time ago. I believe. Oh no, not this one. The, sorry, the earlier one. This is the earlier of the two. This one came out a long time ago, two thousand. I forget what you just said, two thousand six. And and it's a card. I remember buying this from you at your booth at Expo, and I know that people still want this book, and they can't yes, very much. Right. This itself has become a collectible because it's number one, it's a great resource. And number two, it's it's written by you. There's your name right there by Bobby Burrell. And if you that look at me, hmm. yeah. If you look at this book, everybody, I just want to I'll flip through it quickly just to give you an idea of how like kind of awesome it is with all the information, all the pictures of everything that was kind of made available by the various companies that were creating cards and other premiums and collectibles. Uh, for the I should lift it up higher in the hobby so like everything is covered in here and unfortunately you can't get this book anymore unless you buy it from you know second hand and, and I'll let you know this copy will never be for sale but uh, this particular one and then everyone's got a price everyone's got a price fair enough and then this one came out as a sort of the the update the VHC a little bit later and you know it has a price guide in it it still has a lot of great pictures Mo as you can tell it's heavier on the pricing uh, but the the little there's still several pictures and there's lots of like paragraphs of text that go along with all the different um, headings and, and various items that are priced out. So really, really great. What's the status on this book? Do you still have copies of this available for sale? Yeah, only a few left um, of those. Uh, the difference between the two books, and I'd like to say it this way, is that the uh, 2006 version, uh, the blue one, um, it is sort of like the Playboy uh, <laughs> edition because it has large pictures, very little written, uh, lots of advertisement, uh, where the next edition um, was more information. There was no, it was a pricing the set. There was no lists of sets and list of names of players or anything like this. Uh, the next version, well, 2006 to 2015, there's a large difference in between the, uh, the time period. And what I needed to do was uh, rectify the lists, you know, because everyone said as, as great as this book was, you know, what is the list of players? You know, there are some discrepancies out there. Let's uh, get them rectified. And uh, the 2015 edition uh, truly rectified a lot of things um, uh, that were missing um, not from other guides. I won't be specific. Sure. What I, what, I what I loved about this was that you had pictures of the wrappers. You had pictures of the display boxes. The other one does too, but they're very small. I understand that, but, you know, you have to keep it affordable. When I did the 2006 version, uh, that cost me almost $40,000 out of pocket. I didn't have much advertising and my wife says, is this going to sell? And my voice went really high and I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it will. And, uh, you know, it's funny. It showed up on the Friday of the show. Um, actually as the, uh, 2015 edition did, um, just timing is everything. Uh, so that showed up at the show and, uh, I was selling it at the show, and I think I sold maybe 40 or 50 copies. And I was very dejected at the time because I printed 2000 and I was sitting there going, they should fly out the shelves. But really, you know, everybody knew the 2003 version, which was the uh, vintage hockey wax pack collector's guide. So I was kind of this guy and I'm not really this guy. And um, 
and then everybody started picking it up and started going through it. And um, it was the sort of trickle flow flood kind of thing. Um, I think in the next few weeks, I was shipping 40 or 50 a week. It was just nonstop because word of mouth went around. Everybody wanted the copy. You know, people, you know, it was the best kept secret. It was really interesting because um, dealers didn't want you to know that this book was out there because it gave the information that, you know, they they've coveted. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people were saying, hey, how do I get that book? Well, just, hey, just send me a check and, you know, I'll ship it out to you or what have you. So it's really interesting. It was the best kept hobby secret for such a long time there. But uh, it did sell well. And uh, I'm very happy. And I, I got a lot of great compliments from people. But I got a lot of great help from people, too. So I have to remember really remember that and give credit to uh, you, the people, um, you know, who share the information. It's funny when we sit there and we talk at the shows and what have you, and, and you give me information and, and, and I give you information and we share that uh, bond and it just takes that one little thing going, ah, your dad did that. Okay. All right. So that makes a lot of sense and it puts things together for me. You know, I'm not the, um, <clears throat> I'm not the guy who invented everything. I'm just the guy who put things together. I'm the hobby sponge, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, I just take everything in and I just try to put it back out in the right perspective. I've done a lot of research on top of that, you know, a lot of time and spend. You know, I do make a penny an hour, which is fair enoughly said. Uh, you know, bookmaking doesn't make you a lot of money in this hobby. But, I mean, it's it's rewarding just meeting the people and uh, and sharing the information. Yeah, for sure, man. And, I mean... I really do enjoy the, having these books. I flip through them every so often. I like this comment from Simon. He says that book will probably be popping up in the auction houses soon. Well. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, maybe your friend Landon says the first one is like Playboy, Playboy, because us collectors still had hair back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's great life. Yeah. Playboy minus the centerfold. Every page is a, is the centerfold. In, in, in yeah, the, no staples uh, in that one. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, let's get a, let's learn a bit more about uh, your history, hobby wise. Obviously, you've documented everything. What what do you collect personally? Are you like this show is called Sports Cards Live? Are you a card guy, or are you mostly uh, an oddball type of guy and a, a, a premiums type of guy? Well, Jeremy, if you don't mind me taking a few seconds to a little share a little history of uh, myself and how I started collecting, you know, I'm five years old. My brother's seven. We're walking to school uh, by ourselves down downtown Queen Street. Um, no uh, corner stores were open at that time. It was um, it was 1970. Uh, corner stores would open at 10 o'clock. The one thing is there was a dairy along the way to our store, and the dairies were open at 6 o'clock in the morning. And our mother used to give us 25 cents, uh, milk money, lunch money, whatever you want to call it, and we would spend it at the dairy because they were open. And what would we get? A pack, a pack of cards. So that's how it all really started is, you know, we, we, we went in, we bought a pack of cards, we would open it up, chew the gum, walk to school, play your Noxies, Dropsies and all the other different things that we played. And, you know, that's that was our basic history of uh, of getting started with cards. And then I moved into uh, I collected cards for quite, quite a few years and then I moved into um, uh, comic books. Unfortunately, it wasn't Marvel that's worth a ton of money today. I collected Richie Rich because Marvel was on TV. So I figured I'll collect Richie Rich because they don't have him on TV. So sure enough, I have 750 Richie Rich that are worth next to nothing. <laughs> and I could have had Spider-Man and X-Men sitting in my uh, collection right now, um, unfortunately. And then I got into old games and toys. So I think I was born a collector at, at a certain point. I'd, I'd have to say I was 
you know, I, I just always liked collecting things and having coveting things, I guess, you know, uh, and we all like to recapture our youth at a certain time in, in our life. Um, you know, usually it's uh, when you hit about 25 to 30, when you can look back 20 years and say, oh, I remember that. That's usually when you like to recapture your youth. But uh, the hobby started, uh, I was working in sales and uh, I don't know, eBay had just come in, in around that time. And I, I was going to shows on occasion. I was collecting old hockey games at that time, passing up. Bobby Orr and Gretzky rookies because no, no, I didn't like cards. I just want hockey games. And I'm just sitting here going, Don't, you know, 2000 and, <laughs> you know, 2020, you're just shaking your head going, oh my yeah. gosh. Um, but then it, um, in 2000 and uh, I, I, I think it was 98, eBay started and I started looking and I said, they have unopened packs. Wow. Still, wow. Isn't that kind of great? You know, I should maybe buy one. So I bought a 1974 OPG pack from, uh, uh, Mark Murphy, I think it was. I think I paid $175 at the time. U.S., which the dollar exchange was crazy. And it still is. Um, and uh, and I started on the road to unopened packs. And that's how the first book came about, is I started collecting packs. And um, I was reading the um, uh, uh, sports collector's um, uh uh, sports collector, uh, uh, Canadian sports collector, which was the Canadian edition of sort of the Beckett, I guess, at the time. And um, a, a guy had written in uh, named Roger Kuna, who was actually my co-author in the first book. And he wrote in and said, you know, I don't know which the 67 rapper is because they didn't know if it was 65, 60. And they're not dated. We didn't really know. We were kind of, it was actually, it's funny, even going back to 98, we're in the infancy of the, you know, defining the hobby and wrappers and boxes and all that other stuff. Cards, you know, pretty easy. You look on the back and see your prior, we're good to go. Um, so I answered his question through uh, the Canadian Sports Collector. And uh, then we got each other's phone number and we started talking. And we said, you know, we should fix this. Let's fix this, you know, because I like fixing things. So, you know, okay. And uh, that's how the, uh, the first guide came about. But Roger's been a, a great uh, help and influence uh, ever since uh, with the 2006 book in 2015. You know, he's a great historian. Uh, I have to give him all the credit. His name is not on the front of the book, but it surely isn't on the inside. He's He's been such a great contributor and a great friend uh, for the last uh, 20, 20 years plus. So, and uh, from there, um, you know, so I collected wax and I, you know, it seems like we change every few years. We tend to um, go through changes in the hobby, you know, uh, I got into wax and then food issue, but then I started documenting stuff along the way. You know, it wasn't just rappers. It turned into, you know, the food issue and, and it's saying, well, that sounds like a great story, but it doesn't seem right. You know, you know, you know most cereal promotions only lasted three months. Traditionally, so we crossed the board from 19... 30 right up to today you know three to six months if it's a good promotion six months three months traditional you know so i'm kind of going that doesn't really make sense that they started in you know october and then finish in july it doesn't you know doesn't make a lot of sense so you know i've always listened to you'd hear the stories that people tell you and you know they're somewhat few and far between of the truth um and i just always wanted to rectify that. So, you know, once you start digging, you just can't stop. And uh, I guess I never stopped. <laughs> no, and, and if, if anyone has the chance to see these books and just the, the 
the depth of in, of of information and items in them. I mean, you didn't even you didn't even scratch the surface there in your explanation of what's in here. I mean, there's so much there's so much in there. So you've really you've really done a deep dive into this, and um, it, it's an unbelievable resource. And we're lucky to have it in the hockey hobby. Simon wants Simon says, you know, excuse my ignorance, but are there similar books for other major hobby sports like basketball, baseball, football? And I don't know the answer to that, Bobby. Do, do, do you know? Are there other similar books out there? I do, and I I often say to people, you know, hockey's easy in the grand scheme of things. Hockey's pretty easy. CFL football's easy. Basketball's easy because there's fewer issues. When you get into baseball and basketball, the books would be this thick. You would never. It would take forever, and so many regional issues. You know, and def defining which you know which is mainstream as regional. Like, and baseball is a, a whole other animal and it's such a great hobby. I'd love to see somebody do that, but you'd need a collective group of people to really uh, culminate and come together and, and, and do a guide like that. I'd love to help out in the community. Well, what I've done in my books is if it's a multi-sport and there's hockey involved, I'll list all the baseball, football, basketball, tennis, whatever else is in there. I'll put it in there just for the sake of saying the list is complete. And, and then people go, Hey, I like baseball. What about baseball card in there? I just didn't, I didn't leave out. I, I include all of that. And I, I think that helps the collector. I don't price it because I don't really follow the pricing, but I do put the listing in there. So if it's a set, you know, I know a lot about it and I usually write an article on it and I archive it and some are published, some are not. Right. Okay. No, there, there you go, Simon. Hope that helps. Uh, Legion, welcome to you as always. Hockey Titian wants to know if you're still collecting Johnny Bauer memorabilia. Uh, yeah, I never stopped. Uh, Johnny Bauer is the consummate um, uh, ambassador to hockey. Uh, you know, him, Gorgie Howe, there's so many great guys. And we just lost Eddie Shack recently, and I've been collecting some more of his stuff too. Um, you know, we get on these kicks, so to speak, That, uh, and I find that that's happened a lot lately is, um, you know, there's a lot of specific collectors out there who are collecting um uh, they're stars, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it'd be Johnny Bauer or Sidney Crosby or whoever it is, you know, new or old, it doesn't matter. And whatever they put out, they kind of collect him and they, they have their little section set off from him uh, away from maybe their main stay of maybe cards or, or whatever else they collect, you know? And I, I feel that people are really following in that, uh, that momentum that, uh, uh, there's a star, there's a, quite a few stars that they really want to portray in their collection away from their main team, I guess. Fair. Okay, awesome. Uh, back to before, Landon says, the tough part is finding info on the regional items for any sport. I think that, that makes great sense. Carlos says, baseball would be a nightmare even if you ignored the unlicensed issue, right? <laughs> yeah, there's just so much, so much there. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, when we first met and you noticed me filming things, walking around. There, there were a couple of expos where I brought a video camera. I was mm -hmm. I just to... to really to document some things and I wish I still had access to that footage it's kind of lost by me for now but one of the things that I, I really want to capture on footage was one of the rarest items you've ever uncovered I believe and now you've uncovered two super rare items at least based on our discussions and the first one was that uh, the printing stone that was used to print the 1910 uh, what's referred to as the C56 Imperial Tobacco Hockey Step <clears throat> I believe and these things were they were like it's a printing stone. They were printed from stone. Can you tell a little bit of a story about uh, about that item and its significance? I did write an article called uh, The Stone Age. Um, 
and it was about the printing stone. Uh, was, uh, the stone wasn't found by me at all. It was found by a close friend who's not really into sports. He's more into non-sports. And uh, he came to me, he says, uh, you know, I found this at a local show. He says, I was really surprised, but everything matches up. So I looked at everything. I scanned it. I took it home. It weighs like 40 pounds. It's like a block of the limestone this big. So back in the day with before they uh, printed on copper and, and, and did the printing process, they would print on stone. So what the artist would have to do is etch in reverse the whole design, the numbers, everything, because it had to be printed the other way around. You know, and then what they would do on the stone, the limestone, uh, is they would add touche and wax and water, and one would repel each, and then they would print on the ink, and it, it would print. Uh, it's amazing how it turned out. I, 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 and what they could do with the limestone is they could reuse it. They could sand it down flat again and reuse it again, and that's what happened. So a lot of times, most of those things were lost um with that but this one was left found so it had the numbers and it had the names and it had the uh the back design the front design was irrelevant because it was a picture of the player which was totally different but i mean it just had the back design which was the cross sticks and uh and the numbering scheme so they all matched up and everything was perfect so he brought that to my booth and uh i think we tried to negotiate a deal with somebody but he ended up um uh, leaving that to classic auction and it was sold uh, for not a great price. I thought it could have went a lot better than that. I think that's a historical piece that should be put in the, uh, the hall of fame. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Do you any idea what it did, what kind of dollars it did command back when it was sold? It was, uh, it's hard to remember now. I think it was, it was not very much at all. It just went for very low uh, in the grand scheme of very low, meaning 10,000, 15,000, maybe. Oh, okay. That, that's, that's not terrible, but it's, it's a $50,000 piece all day. Yeah, I believe. And in my book at that time, I, I, you know, I don't know how I come up with these prices. It's just, you gauge what you've seen and what things go for. And you just kind of say that piece is so historical. It's gotta have, you know, it's almost, priceless really but. it's a one of a kind it's something it's unbelievable it still exists and the fact like you said that they would sand it down and then re-etch it in the you know for other issues along the way um the fact that it lasted over a hundred or a hundred years of that time until uh you know 2008 9 whenever it was it was uncovered is truly unbelievable okay uh -huh. the other the other piece that i remember you were very proud of this piece um so in 1964 tops put out the tall boys Tall, the you know those extra tall cards they did them in football and basketball as well in in various years uh, throughout the 60s but they only did them once in hockey it was 64 we refer to it as a tall boy set and you at your booth there had on display an uncut sheet of these things which is something that you probably never thought existed when i saw it i'll admit i thought well it's pretty cool but i wasn't I, I i didn't realize just how rare this might be only by watching you and and your your crew kind of you know be in awe over this thing did it occur to me that this thing is truly special can you articulate better than i can what made that uncut 64 tall boys sheet so truly special yeah the tall boy sheet especially the first series the second series had been found so there was a single print across the middle that was the short prints because it was duplicated on the top and bottom and the extra um uh printing across the middle of the sheet was the short prints on both sheets 
Um, it's funny, the one sheet had full body shots and the second sheet had full facial shots for the most part or upper bust shots. And it's really kind of interesting how they did that. Um, so that sheet was very significant in the sense that we've never seen a first series sheet. And we, you know, with PSA, you could pretty much see how many were graded that were were the short prints like you could kind of guesstimate going yeah yeah there's this many but then when you get stars in there it's kind of hard to determine um so this confirmed it 100 percent that these are the short prints 100 percent. so we could add that to a guide and it was great it was great information for the hobby because we can finally finally say these are the short prints opposed to assuming Right. You now have evidence, like original, uh, right out of the factory evidence. That that's really cool to be able mm. to 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 nail down that uh, the status of those cards. Really cool. Okay, thanks for that. Card currency says, being someone who has been in the hobby as long as you have, Bobby, what is your opinion as to why hockey cards? Don't see the value like the other three sports as of yet. He goes on to say, I don't collect hockey. Just to be clear, I'm just curious to this, especially being that our USA hockey team has one of the more memorable national moments, which is the miracle on ice. Of course they do. Uh, what are your, how would you respond to that, Bobby? You know, I think there's always uh, baseball has had collectors. You have to understand, I guess it all started with um, Carter Philly in, uh, in England. They've been collecting and documenting cards since 1922. Then as we moved into the 50s, I would say um, we'll get to the ACC and then Jefferson Burdick a little later, but um, we didn't really start documenting until the 50s, 60s um, with baseball and then came football and then came you know, hockey and the other non-sports and basketball and what have you. Basketball missed quite a few years in there. Um, so hockey's been, you know, the, the sort of the sidecar of, of the hobby. Uh, you know, it's mostly mostly North American based, uh, you know, being in Canada. It's a, you know, you grow up with skates on, you know, you're born with skates on kind of thing. Um, in the U.S., not so much. But since 1980, and like you were saying there, um, about you know, the 80 Olympics, that was, that was a great thing. And I think a lot of that has taken in hockey to the next tier in the USA. Yeah. As well as when Wayne Gretzky got traded to the LA Kings in 1980. Uh, yeah. that, that, that helped as well, for sure. I think, but I think you nailed it. It's really that, you know, Canada's one-tenth the size of the United States. It's the, it's Canada's national sport, whereas baseball is the national pastime in the U S which is interesting because basketball cards have way surpassed baseball. Now it seems like as even the data that we, when I had um, Jeremy Murray, who's the VP at Becca Grading, come on, I asked him very specifically, uh, and I asked him before he came on so he could research for this information. I said, it'd be great to deliver to the audience sort of what is the the breakdown by sport of submissions you receive. And basketball this year was 40%. Um, hockey was eight and baseball, I think football was in the teens and baseball was in the twenties somewhere. And then there was everything else they receive in terms of non-sport and, and other sports. So, um, but I think that, that that's kind of, it's somewhat obvious, I think, or intuitive that it's really just because Canada hockey is Canada's game and it just hasn't caught on as much as the, the national pastime down in the U S has. All yeah, right. For sure. So you've, you've got these books out there. You're, you're a guy who documents thing. You, you love this. I know you do. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always kind of, I always asked you when you've sold me items that I showed earlier, I'm always like, Hey, why are you even willing to give this up? And I think your response is always, I only have so much room in my house 
And, uh, and you know what, it's nice to pass things along to someone who's going to enjoy them. So I've always been thankful that you've recognized that in myself, because, you know, I've sold cards to people, and I've almost put them through an interview if I was actually going to let them have the card. <laughs> yeah, now, not, not every card, but certain cards that I have emotional attachment to, I don't want anybody to get them. So when somebody like you tells me that, you know what, I know that it's going to a good home, I, you know, I really get that. And I really appreciate it that, 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 that you're willing to move uh, things like that to me. Uh, Card Currency wants to thank you for your reply. Thank you so much. So you got the books. Now you have a project underway, I believe, uh, a website, an yep. app. Um, mm -hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit about, about what you're kind of shifting to, what you have on, on the horizon here? Well, since uh, 2015, since the last book, there's a lot of new information comes to light. And um, I was asked by Andy Malecki, who is um, the actual CFL historian. He's written quite a few books and he's very detailed. He's he does a wonderful job on books. You know, the falling of CFL is not as good as it. I wish it was. Um, but he wanted to include the hockey, too. And then he says, I'm working on a website and an app. Would you like to join in? And I said, uh, no, at that time, back in 2015. And then I finally said, OK, you know, uh, there's new information. I really like to add that to the hobby to share with it. And uh, so we went from there. And now I've been working on um, uh, sending him all the information uh, that I have. Um, but it's more than just the regular information you've seen in the book. It'll be well beyond that. Uh, you know, for what I have in the book, I have twice as much in my computer, at least. And I would like to, you know, give it all out there. Mm -hmm. And so people can see all the, uh, the other things uh, that are associated beyond cards, um, more in the... Uh, um, uh, I guess the regional food issue or the souvenir um, memorabilia type of collectibles, because there's a large following for that uh, that's happening in the hobby. Uh, well beyond the cards, cards are going crazy, packs are going crazy, but so is the memorabilia. You know, since 67, the expansion of 12 teams, those guys started in 67. You know, for Toronto Maple Leafs, it's business as usual, but I mean, for expansion teams, like all those guys are coming of age and they're going, man, I remember back in 68, you know, all these things that came out and they were trying to promote their teams back then. They were really, you know, hey, we got to get people to watch these games. You know, this is hockey in the United States. We got to, you know, so they would come up with some creative, beautiful, wonderful things. And a lot of things that were made in the United States. And I, I really love it. And there's some great stuff and, and people are really pursuing that very much. So now. Yeah, that that's cool. So we spoke, you know, in preparation for tonight, we spent some time yesterday talking about things. And um, one of the things that I found most interesting that I think people, the audience will find most interesting is that, you know, in, in kind of moving on to your, the next phase of, of your hobby documenting career is that, you know, there are certain standards that have been in place in this hobby for a long time, certain um, yeah. kind of like unwritten rules or unwritten understandings, you know, for example, um, people refer to the 52 tops Mickey Mantle as his rookie card when in fact there's a 51 Bowman rookie card which is the only true rookie but people always refer to the 52 tops as his either it's his rookie card or it's his tops rookie when in fact it's simply his first tops card it's a beautiful piece don't get me wrong but it's not his rookie card you know we have in in hockey in 1951 Parkhurst we have the a card called it's it's called the winning goal and i think it's the only card in the set that isn't the name of the card isn't a player's name. It's called the winning goal. And it says Barilko scores cup winning goal or something to that effect. I don't remember exactly. And I know there's some always been debate. Is that Bill Barilko's rookie card or is it 
not his card at all. We also know that in 1955, we have what's known as Jacques Plante's rookie card, yet he appeared in 1953 Parker sets on a couple of cards, a sort of in, uh, some inaction cards where his name is on there, like Plante stops how or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about that because, you know, we, we went down this path yesterday and it, it's quite interesting. Um, is it is it possible in 2020 to change some of these standards uh, that, that apply today. Si and Simon jumps in. I'm just going to throw this up here. He says, you know, Jordan with star cards. So the star sets predate Fleer 1986, which everyone considers his rookie. So, yeah. And Simon, good point. And, and we did bring this up yesterday. So thanks for bringing it to the forefront today. Um, there are other examples out there. Um, what do you think, Bobby? Are we going to be able to, or are we collective? We is the hobby going to be able to ever say that that 52 tops mantle is not his rookie, or that the 51 winning goal is Barilko's rookie, or that the 55 Jacques Plante isn't his rookie? And same with the 86 Jordan. You know, that's the one of the greatest questions of the hobby, I guess, in today's world. Um, there's no governing body in the hobby. We don't have anything that we answer to except price guides. Um, and those people who have who produce price guides do have a little bit of a sort of clout and power that they can, you know, maybe change a little bit of history and um, or entertain that and see how people respond. Um, uh, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, it's the 51 Bowman, uh, the 52 Mantle. It's a great looking card, but why it gets 100 times more than the 51 Bowman is beyond me. You know, but they say it's the tops rookie. You know, we can get into the baseball. And, you know, baseball people, you know, they're uh, they're so detailed oriented, a little spot here. And they're just so into what they and then they let that go. I don't understand it. Um, and I'm not really here to judge that. I'm just here to say that, you know, um, the Barocco will be a rookie in my uh, my next guide. And I'm changing that. That's the only thing really I'm changing. But I think it's just it's posthumously done. Uh, for Barocco because he had passed away. Not that they knew at that time, but, uh, you know, his plane was missing for quite some time. And I think it's time that um, we recognize the rookies. And you also mentioned something a little bit about that, about cameos as well. And um, I really like that aspect of that, Jeremy. Oh, that, that's cool. Yeah, we were we were talking about how when a player appears on a card before their rookie card, but it's not maybe their card or it's an action card, that that could be, you know, kind of a... I think I referred to it as, as a cameo card, and uh, I'm I'm flattered that you think that that's a, a good descriptor for for something. So we'll see what you what you how you move forward with that. Um, I think the hobby, you know, I think we're always evolving in the hobby. Tastes are always changing. Information is always coming out, and like you said, the, those who publish price guides do have some clout. Um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of people watching will remember back in 2005, 2006, when um, Upper Deck was putting out a lot of different Sidney Crosby rookies and yeah. the McDonald's card. Uh, there was a big debate. Should it be a rookie card? Should it not? And they ended up deciding that it should be. So, you know, Beckett Media or Publications, whichever it was at the time, they made that decision. Now, like you said, we don't answer to anybody. There's no governing body. There's no regulatory authority in this hobby. Um, but yeah. those that publish have the eyeballs on them. They can they can make these statements and make these changes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, it, that they don't have that right or that influence. They certainly do. 
Um, and, you know, I didn't agree with the Sidney Crosby, uh, you know, um, classification at the time because I believe that these cards have to be widely distributed across, you know, say, North America and uh, and not be a food issue. But they gave it, it was a special uh, case. Sidney Crosby was a special player, so they they kind of bucked the trend sure. that time. And that might be the precedence that we need moving forward for someone like you who also publishes guides and information and even price guides. And I want to ask you how you price things in a minute, but um, I, I support you in that, Bobby. Is what I'm saying. I think I think it's I think it's bold and I think it's courageous and I think it's important and I think it's logical. Thanks. Probably probably most of all, it's logical. So yeah. I look forward to seeing um, to seeing what what kind of things you do with that. And, uh, you know, the Barilco to kind of give us a, a, a preview is is certainly um, interesting. And uh, so look forward to seeing what else you have and how the hobby responds to that. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, let's just get to another uh, comment here. Uh, Simon says hockey is similar to here in Australia. Our national sports are AFL Aussie rules, football and cricket. They're both huge sports locally with passionate fans and collectors. So, yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing about our hobbies that we can draw parallels. You know, every country has their thing. Soccer is, the, is global. Basketball is going global. And, you know, Australia, which has a great collector base and, um, you know, is a country I spent time in. So I'm, I'm a little uh, I have a soft spot for Australia. Um, I'd never got into cricket uh, or Aussie rules football. I'll admit that. But um, but anyway, Simon, thank you for the comment. Really interesting. Um so, Bobby, you know, let's get into a bit more hit hobby history here because you do have some information that are, you know, you, you, you're, you've studied the stuff. So, yeah, there, there's another gentleman who was uh, really in, integral to our hobby going, uh, I believe, in the 30s, 40s by the name of Jefferson Burdick, who you referenced a few minutes ago. A lot of people will have heard of him. He wrote kind of wrote the book on the nomenclature of all these sets that came out before anyone else was was um, labeling them and organizing them into in, into a, a guide or a complete a complete list of everything that's out there for people to collect these little pictures on cards whether they're pictures of athletes or airplanes or flowers or whatever yeah um, I don't know much about Jefferson Burdick I've read a few things here and there um, I know his original book can sell for big dollars at auction and it's something i'd certainly love to add to my collection what can you do to educate uh, myself and the audience about what jefferson burdick did his importance in the hobby and because a lot of people throw out the terminology that he invented without having any clue where it came from and i think that's really interesting yeah jefferson burdick uh i think he was born around at the turn of the century um he was the first gentleman to ever document uh, all sports and non-sports postcards. He documented basically everything. He was uh, the pioneer of sort of the hobby. Um, in 1939, he came up with his first guide, um, which documented under his code numbering. So we look at different, you know, the C55, C57s, as C stands for, you know, uh, cigarette issue you know and v145 and so we all identify things through those accs without even really knowing it and uh his stuff ended up um well he he died in the, in the 60s and uh, he donated all his um his collection to the uh um metropolitan um, museum in uh, new york there I just want to ask you, Bobby. You said I think you used the the, the acronym ACCs. Can you what, what? American Card Catalog is ACC? That's how it all comes about. Sorry about that. Yes. Um, so he 
he was the very first, he's the pioneer of everything. And we've all plagiarized him since then, you know, and it's been really uh, uh, a great fun ride. And we've all plagiarized along the way. I have to admit that, you know, I've looked at Beckett. I've looked at all the different price guides. I have a collection of price guides uh, that I've been collecting since 19, um, up from 78 up, I guess. Uh, that was probably as early as I get. And, you know, through the 80s, it's amazing seeing Gretzky at 25 cents and uh, <laughs> his rookie card. And, you know, um, that's where the hobby, and now we're at this point, you know, we're at this um, critical mass, so to speak. And, uh, and pricing is really important. And especially with the new cards, I don't know how they do it. It's really a difficult thing. I give them a lot of credit for what they're doing right now yeah for sure okay well, that's interesting i really like uh, the next time one of jefferson burdick's original books goes to auction i mean uh, i'd love to say i'll be a player on it but i don't know that i'll be able to to afford it but uh i wonder well, what he has reprints uh, you're okay with that you can get a, a reprint copy for you know a reasonable dollar but original copies are are very uh, sought after and quite like pricey so like ten, tens of thousands, would you no, say? No, I don't think so. I think we're into, you know, hundreds though, for sure. Hundreds you know, maybe, of dollars. Maybe in the thousands. I don't know for the first edition, but he did quite a few editions along the way. So. Well, if anyone out there is watching, I will pay, <laughs> I'll pay a thousand dollars for one for an original Jefferson Burdick copy. To me, it's, it's a, it might be the key piece of hobby history because he did label all the, including the T206 where the Honus Wagner card comes from. Like he labeled all these things, the Babe Ruth, rookie card from the 1916 yeah. whatever set that's from the Baltimore news, I believe. I mean, he, he labeled, he came up with the names for these things and just volunteered for it. Like what a, yeah, it, it's who knows where we'd be right now without, without that, uh, without his system applied to all these cards. So, okay. Well, that's a great segue into the, uh, the video, I would think. Oh, you're right. Good point. That's a good point. And then I'm gonna we're gonna get some comments here. So, so everyone, I'll let you guys know. Bobby sent me a video, and it's only it's short. It's 45 seconds. I have it queued up, ready to go, and it's basically some original footage from the Opeachy factory that would have been in Hamilton, Ontario. What, London, when, London, Ontario. Sorry. When would you say that this uh, that this was from? It what was 1976. You can see the 76 cards. There you go. That's a right. Okay. So this is original footage, guys, from 1976, Opeachy Factory. Now, if you're watching from outside of Canada and you're like, okay, well, I would rather see Tops or I'd rather, you know, I'd rather see one of the other companies. Well, this is basically the same thing. Tops and Opeachy did business together. So this is what it might have looked like. And uh, there's no sound, guys. So um, well, I'll just bring that up right now. Here we go. This is the. Uh, this I'll be is right the, back. I'm going to hit play and we can just kind of watch this thing quickly here, guys. Bobby, we'll see you in a minute when you get back. It's a little choppy. And off it goes to the corner store for sale. 
All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. Oh, hold on a second. Here we go. Let's get back to Bobby. There we go. I, don't know, I thought that was I thought that was pretty fascinating myself. I mean, how often do you get to see footage from the Opeachy factory in 1976? And you notice that these things are just sliding across the uh, across the what do you call it the conveyor belt, and the the people working are just kind of taking them and putting them in a box. And it's like no wonder these cards don't come out of the pack always in in mint condition uh, back in those days. So hope you guys mm -hmm. enjoyed that. I'm certainly kind of think it's really cool to be able to to bring that through. Um, so let's go to a few comments here. Uh, Simon just says, was that stuff considered junk wax? No, that wasn't the no. junk wax, Simon. The junk wax, that's not junk wax, no. The junk wax is really like around 89 through 93. Um, what do we have? I consider junk wax actually to be the time that they stopped putting gum in packs. Right, which was 1990 pretty 91, much. yeah, somewhere around. 91. Yeah. yeah, yeah, agree, agree. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's get to a few comments here. Um, sure. Paul Cashman says, I was tidying up and found a few opened Sydney, uh, sorry, McDonald's packs, found a, Cros a Sydney Crosby. I am pleased to say I own a Crosby rookie card. Yes, you do, Paul. Welcome to the, welcome, Paul. And I think I said that already. I meant to say yes. I saw your three-hour comment earlier. We will get three hours in tonight, Paul, between this and the after hours episode. <laughs> <laughs> Not you, Bob, Bobby. Don't get, don't get scared. Not you. Uh, Simon, I think we now have, I think this is a great point. I read this a bit earlier. I think, now we have access to find and buy these cards. There's no reason they shouldn't be considered rookie cards. And I agree with that. Times have changed where we can access any. Yeah, right. I, I, I thought, I thought, yeah, I like that too, Bobby. Um, Paul says, a weird thought. I wonder if Ireland has hurling cards. <laughs> they very well may. Very well may. Uh, Tim says, Jeremy, you know, I'm a Gretzky guy and run the Wayne Gretzky collecting Facebook group. Wonder if Bobby has an opinion on the legend. Ooh, I love this, Tim on the legend of the first print blue lines on the back of the Opeachy rookie. I certainly have my theory, Bobby. What can you tell us about that? If you, if you, have I have a theory, but I also have fact to go with it. Um, and so the Gretzky first print, everyone says first print. Well, should it be worth more? Should it not be worth more? I, I don't really, I don't think it affects it either way. Um, now, the Gretzky rookies were printed on a drum. So it was a round roll drum that had the, the printing sheet, uh, the printing uh, plate on it. And if that printing plate had a scratch, which actually would make that, uh, those lines a scratch, would they have fixed it at the beginning or would they have left it in the second series and let it run through? So we really don't know if it's first or second series, unless we can find the guy who worked at OPG and said, hey, do you remember, you know, and those guys, I don't know, back then it was just, you know, printing company doing stuff. So we don't know if it's first or second series, to be honest. Um, everyone says first series, but I, I tend to disagree. I think it would be more of a second series. I think they ran the first run and then it got a... It, it, it got a little cut in it and um, and they just said, hey, we're almost finished the series. Let's just run it through. But they were running 24-7, honestly. They were just, when it was hockey season, they ran 24-7. Uh, Opeachy brought their product out January 1st of every year because they wanted to wait for trades. Tops would come out earlier in the year uh, because they just, and that's why they had lesser cards in the set as well. Okay, so that that is my theory as well, Bobby. Um, I'll just state it myself is that I, I think that what happened was that print that printing drum, if you will, was in great condition when it was first made and ready to go into printing production. And somewhere along the way, something got in there and created a little dent or a little nick, and that caused these print lines. 
And back then, why in the world would they fix that? It didn't change the front of the card. It was and did they? Cars. They didn't care about the cuts. Why would they care about the printing? Right? Exactly. And not only why would they fix it? Would they even have noticed it? I mean, it's it's sometimes it's super yeah. fine. And if they know if they noticed it, they wouldn't have even given it a second thought. I'm a pretty firm believer. And now that we've had this discussion, I'm a pretty firm believer that it is, and, and, and they don't refer to it as just to, just to um, kind of get into some semantics there. They refer people, the hobby generally refers to it as first print or, or second print versus first series, second series. It's that's been my uh, perception anyway. So I like first print, second print. Well, when, when, when did that cutoff happen? I mean, how many was, sheets are there? say again, how many sheets are there in the 79? Well, it's 396 cards, so would that be uh, eight? Is it not? Three sheets. Uh, complete sheets. Uncut sheets. Yeah. So sorry. three uncut sheets. So how did, we, how did we get first series, second series? Like, do you cut a sheet in half? Yeah. Is there uh, three yeah. print runs? You know, so you have to understand that, you know, regardless of that, it doesn't get any more money. It shouldn't be worth any more money. Um, if anything, I'd rather have one without that line on it, just to be personal. That's yeah. my personal thing. Uh, I don't think it takes away from it having it on there because it's actual, it's a period. It's it's part of the process. You know, it's a natural flaw. That's fine. And that's understood. And it's actually almost respected, you know. Um, so I, I, I really don't feel that that first series, second series, we shouldn't even consider that anymore. Anybody who says that is just looking for a little bit more money on their card. That's right, because uh, it's it's one of those uh, yeah. myths that's been out there for so long. It's a myth that has become truth to so many people, yeah. and I I hear it all the time at the shows. I've always got several Gretzky rookies available, and so I and you know you'll see people will put a little label and they'll they'll write first print on that little price tag and put it in their showcase and maybe. So what I do instead, because I recognize that I mean I'm no dummy. I recognize people. Some people, some people will pay a premium for that. So instead, I put a little extra price tag on it and I just write blue lines on back or blue lines present, you know, because if you want those blue lines on there from the flaw that, that probably <laughs> happened well, that probably happened well into the printing. Yeah. So to me, they're, they're the later <laughs> cards, but Hey, if you want to believe their first print and pay me more money, I'm not going to say no. And, uh, and if you're interested in my theory, I'll, I'll happily tell you, but you know, if not, that's fine too. So yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Anyway, uh, Tim, thanks for raising that because I didn't think of, of speaking about that. That's really a phenomenal question. I'm really glad that you asked that. I, I really appreciate that because I think I wouldn't have mentioned it and I'm glad you did bring it up because I think it's something that needs to be said in the hobby. And we have to share this information between each other um, to keep the hobby healthy, um, you know, going forward. Um, you know, I'm not here to determine what is right or what is wrong. I'm just here to... Uh, give the opinion of the people and you are the people and we are the people we are this is our hobby and we want to protect it and keep it safe and keep it healthy and uh, sharing that information is is the way to go and uh, I'm all about that same here I just want to put this up too. Tim says it's the topic of much debate very true and helps boost the value for those who advertise their cards as first print when no one seems to have evidence one way or another and I don't think we've provided any evidence tonight but we've provided some theories that certainly make logical sense to me I hope they do to everybody watching as well yeah. uh, name name welcome name says uh thanks so that's so cool I enjoyed it for sure referring to the Opeachy video Landon yeah. says thank you as well uh Oh, lots of comments. Sorry, they scrolled too fast there on me for a moment. Terry liked the video as well. Awesome. 
Lots of labor for a nickel a package. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, Dave says, any information on how Opichi got to produce the 1990 premiere set on its own without Tops doing so? Do you have any idea about that, Bobby? No, actually, I, I really don't. Uh, there's a lot of speculation with, you know, there's um, Stephen LaRoche knows really a lot about, he'll be your next guest. Uh, he's very knowledgeable for vintage and modern. Uh, you know, he worked at Beckett and, uh, you know, I greatly respect him as, as a, a historian and writer and uh, also as a friend. Um, he has a lot of information on that. Um, that gets past my 89 cutoff point. I really don't get too far into that. Um, you know, there was something with the Tembeck and there's a lot of stuff going on in 1990. You know, we were in the hobby flux and uh, everything was kind of growing and receding and, you know, process bragging, we're printing 24 seven. And it's like, oh, really? Print yourself out of business, why don't you? Yeah. And they did. And yeah. everybody put them boxes away. And I remember going to the uh, sort of a dollar store back in that time period. And there were skids of that. And I was sitting there going, should I buy a few boxes and put them away? You know, they're five bucks a box at that time. And I'm sitting there going, nah, there's too many. There's just way too many, right? So I didn't. I didn't get into wax until the mid 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when OPG Premiere first came out, it was like the first, you know, aside from, uh, Actually, that was the first premium set. I, I believe the upper decks, the base upper deck was out by then, but that kind of Opichi kind of put it out. It was there to compete with the premium stock and hologram and high yeah. and the photography of upper deck. Sure. I like Paul says, is Bobby committing blue line blasphemy? I like that. Tim, I, I think it is pretty good insight what we were just discussing. And I think, again, I think it makes a lot of sense. Thomas Newman, yo, yo, what's up? Welcome to the show. Um, an, an anonymous Facebook user says the trick is to look at the Pat Hughes card underneath the Gretzky on the sheet to see if the scratch extended on the printing plate. I, I don't know what information that would give us because, you know, if you imagine these things spinning on a barrel. It's uh, on a barrel. So it wouldn't yeah, really it may, not, it yes. may not transfer. It may just transfer one card a little bit. Who knows? I mean, I'm no printing. I talked to a, a printing guy who worked back in that time period. And, uh, and he told me all the ins and outs. So I don't think it would continue on. You think it would be on the whole sheet all the way down, but it, it isn't that way. If you get a scratch on that, the scratch goes after you go to the next card. So it wouldn't unfortunately uh, uh, work that way. It, it is interesting that the blue lines, they, you know, everyone always looks, if you hold the card in front of you, uh, everyone always looks on the right side for those blue lines kind yes. of under the the. The, the little picture of him, I think, uh, the, you know, the little cartoon. But if yeah. you look to the far left, it's there on the far left, but it's not in the middle where they had the skate with all the stats. So it's yeah. really, really interesting. Uh, Joe loves the Gretzky rookie card lore. Me too. So much fun to talk about that stuff. Um, Dave Weir says, Opichi was one series from 1974, 75 on, wasn't it? Uh, I believe Correct. it released in one series yes yes i went to 396 cards that year um actually i think all the tops products did as well that looks right here 7475 was advertised as now one giant series because there's there's a couple series that have like uh there's a couple years that have three series within so whether it's the 71s or 72s or 70s and yeah really interesting 72 had three series the only one yeah 
Oh, that was Steve LaRoche. Steve, uh, yep, thank you, Paul, for directing Steve to StreamYard so that Jeremy can see your name. I'll just put that on the banner right now, which I haven't had running. So anyone who's uh, on Facebook and you are coming up with an anonymous Facebook username, you can go to StreamYard.com slash Facebook, click the big blue button one time, will we'll or should carry through. After that, we'll leave that up there. I'm just going to flip over the, the ticker now to upcoming episodes so you guys can see what's coming up on future episodes. Great stuff, Bobby. I, I'm loving this. This is super interesting. The uh, again, I mean, that 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 uh, Tim's question on the Gretzky rookie is uh, probably my favorite part of this so far because yeah. I'm because it's a big card. It's my I love that I love that card. I, I buy and sell them all the time. I, I have three in my personal collection and with the fourth one that I'm really thinking about making taking it out of my inventory box and moving into my personal collection as well. So awesome stuff. Let's switch focus, Bobby, a little bit. Let's. Oh. Unless, unless you have something else, uh, sort of about the history. This has kind of been under the whole history of the hobby. Anything else that you want to talk about there before we talk about the modern hobby and your? I think I could better answer questions opposed to just give you the hobby sure. history because I wouldn't shut up for an hour and a half. So I don't think I'd go into overtime and knock your guests out. I don't want to do that. I will. Uh, I will watch for uh, for questions in the in the comments that come up. Landon says Tops did Stadium Club in 1990. That Opeachy didn't. Correct. Yep, that would be correct. Uh, yep. that was just simply Tops Stadium Club, and there was no Opeachy parallel or parallel is a tough word to use nowadays because it's another term of the hobby. But there was no uh, Opeachy counterpart, I guess, uh, for Stadium Club. But I remember when Stadium Club first came out with that Kodak quality uh, photography and the full bleed and all that, and <laughs> I thought they were cool. But I didn't love them. I like the I like some design aspect. I love the oh, I loved growing up and every year when Opichi would come out, I couldn't wait to see what they looked like. I it was always such a such a, a a highlight of my 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 year my school year seeing what they what the design was and I loved the 84 85s when you had the little the little headshot in the bottom corner like the Steve Eiserman rookie year same thing the baseball did in 83 tops with the the Tony Gwynn and the Ryan Sandberg and there's one more big one in that set that's just escaping me right now but I know someone will put it in the comments for me 84 85 84 85 actually Opeachy was one of the very first years that they promoted that they made it 25 percent more cards than they ever had made because of the promotion that was going on the instant win card and what have you from there so uh it's very interesting so well, my uh, how things have changed right uh yeah quite a bit yeah that's <laughs> manufactured uh yeah yeah, and there's the segue into the modern day hobby. My how things have changed, and I want to start this sort of topic, Bobby, off by talking about something that I've kind of noticed because I I kind of consider myself uh, I, I certainly consider myself a veteran collector. I've literally been interested in and and collecting cards since, gosh, it's like 1979-1980. The first cards I remember are the 1978s. I probably remembered seeing them in 1979. And my first packs I really remember opening are either the 81s or the 82s. The 82s for sure. I would have been in like grade two or three back then. And then I never stopped. So I'm an old school veteran collector. But personally, I collect cards from 1888 through till 2020. I collect it all. I, lo I love it all. And I love all sports. So it gets very expensive, but I love it all. The old guard, as I'll refer to it. So the, 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 you know, I don't want to use the word older because, you know, it, it just it sounds uh, derogatory, but I'm going to use it just for ease of discussion. The older. Like pardon? It sounds like me. Yeah. The older <laughs> collectors like Bobby Burrell. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Let's just call them the old guard. The old guard is protective of the hobby. And 
-hmm. some, some, some of them are, you know, maybe not as open-minded as others. I think you're an open-minded guy. And some of them may, you know, kind of have some resentment towards some of the, the up and comers in terms of uh, people throwing around money in the hobby. Nowadays, they might not like all the, you know, all the cards coming out. There's no longer one rookie card every year. There's 20 or more depending on the some sports or up to I think basketball you can get like 70 rookie cards of a wow. single player in, in a year something like that I may be off but it's a big number what's your perception on that been like are you sort of one of these old guard guys do you embrace and welcome the modern hobby and all these shiny flashy cards with autographs and pieces of jerseys and sticks and hats and balls and all this or what are your thoughts on that? But but not just your thoughts on the modern hobby, but also on the old guard and their protectiveness towards the hobby and the integrity of it. Because a lot of people say, you know, ah, it's the hobby's not the hobby's gone to the dogs. It's not for kids anymore. It's you know, this is it's all business, and they there's like a resent a resentful sort of um, tone to their to their discussion when I read or or hear it. Can you sort of uh, speak to all that? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, you know, I, I can make reference to wine. I don't really like wine, uh, except Baby Duck, uh, but that was back in the 70s. Uh, <laughs> I would have to say wine is a vintage. So it can be any vintage. So vintage is a really open word that we can use. Um, what's your vintage? You know, you remember 82. I opened pack to 70, 71. You know, we're flicking checklist down the laneway because if you got more than one it was a waste of a card you know yeah. at least you got the gum you know um so with the new collectors and the new hobby the way it's going um i don't mind it i'm you know i'm very open-minded everyone because i only do stuff up to 89 there's so much involved between 1910 and 1989 that if I got into 90s, it, it's just I don't have the the capacity. I, had, I need a new processor or something. So I can't really go to that extent. I really wish somebody would step in and do it. Um, it's enough doing what I've done um, or for me to uh, um, to harness and and uh, and to you know, at least put the information out properly. Um, but I like to see that the new collectors, uh, they're collecting with their kids now. And I really like that part of it. You know, um, me and my son, we, we used to open cards back in 2003, four, five, six, seven, and we'd buy packs and we'd open them together. And he, you know, he'd keep the cards and it was just fun to open with him. And I think a lot of the newer collectors are really sharing that with their children right now is they're going, Hey, let's go, let's go open a pack. Let's go chase this. Let's do that. And that family sense that we've sort of lost because of social media, it really comes back together with that. And I love that part of it, you know, because that's really the heart of the, the vintage part of it. It's, 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 it's recapturing our youth and um, and this is sharing with our youth, which is kind of a, you know, a step forward. You know, it's, it's paying everything forward. So I like seeing that the new cards. What do I think of the new cards? Um, I think they're gorgeous. Like, honestly, some of them I just go, man, if I was a kid, I would love to have that card. But we had what we had and we can't change that. So we can look back in time and say, I wish I would have had. But, you know, I wish a lot of things. I really enjoy the hobby. Uh, the way it's going, I really wish they would limit sets um, to a certain count and actually publicize that. I would really like to see them publicize, hey, we've made 5,000 copies, that's it, and let everybody know. 
at least you know, you know, and there's no, you know, with Opeachy, we don't know how many they produce. Okay, 25% more in 84. We, we did talk about that. And okay, we understand that. And Opeachy went up and down. Like if you actually look at um, how wax is available, you go 85, it, you know, low production, 83, high, you know, because tops didn't do um, in 82 and 83. So, you know, Opeachy was very high those years. And then 85 came down and 86 wasn't very high. And 87 went up and up and up. And then and then it got into uh, mass marketing at that point. Then it stopped being um, so-called the uh, age of innocence. It was marketing with specific intent and, you know, you know, production value and, you know, limited editions and all those things change a lot. Now we can look back and say to the old collectors, yeah, that's horse and buggy thinking, whatever you want to say, you know, it, the hobby is still going today. We're still dealing with the new and the old. I still like opening a new pack every once in a while. And you know this too, because I go, Jeremy, what pack should I open? What box should I buy? Because we just want to gamble and have some fun, you know? And I think that's what really what it's all about but if i get somebody big i'll sell it because i won't want to keep it for the most part unless it's you know marner or something you know i just went to tim hortons and bought a marner stick you know because why because i i'm canadian i don't know i just i had to get i'm trying to make believe fan i just wanted to buy it you know so i paid for it because you never lose that sense you know if you're stuck in the past you can stay in the past but it, you know you have to flow with the future too you don't have to collect the future but respect it that it's, the hobby is the same across the board everybody has their vintage so to speak yeah it, you, you said you said earlier like what is vintage what's your vintage and that's a great question that everybody needs to think about i'm going to answer for myself because i to me i I feel pretty strongly about it. I've, I've heard people say vintage is up until 1971, which makes no sense to me because the cards didn't really change in 1971. To me, vintage ends in with, with sets that are labeled 1989. 89-90 is the last year before we had upper deck, pro sets, score, um, you know, whatever, action-packed even. There were several brands that came out. I mean, in baseball, you already had Donruss and Fleer to go yeah. along with tops, but as far as really upper deck changed the game in 1989 with their baseball set. So I would actually say, sorry, everything up until it might be different between hockey and baseball, but basically it ends at 88 or 89. And then you're into the, I don't even know if it's the modern era anymore. The modern era might've started in the, sometime in the 2000s or almost Very seems true. To be, there seems to be this kind of mid era called the nineties, which is the, the era of creativity and design and, exactly. and really, thinking outside the box. So you've got your, to me, you've got vintage up until 88, 89, and then you've got this mid era. And then you got the modern when they really started to, you know, up the game in terms of the, the yeah. intrinsic value that is, that is within some of these cards in terms of on card autographs, memorabilia being embedded within them, like these ticket to a new level. So that it's interesting comment. I want to step back a few uh, minutes here because there was a couple questions from the last topic. Dave's question here, and this is a good one. He says, any comments on the Bobby or rookie card that's out there graded a BVG 10? And I've seen this card in person. This card was at the expo, gosh, 15 years ago. I think, uh, I think it was the BVG 10. It might've been a 9.5. So I may be getting that wrong. And if I am, I apologize, but I remember it was being sold by a gentleman by the name of uh, Jason Martin, Martin Sports Cards. And he was asking, I think it was like $20,000 for it at, the, at that time. And uh, myself and another guy were thinking about trying to get the money together to, together to buy it. Um, 
my thoughts are that it's it's sheet cut it's it's post production sheet cut it's not pack pulled which is an, a whole other discussion but yeah. um, but bobby what what are your thoughts on on kind of these uh, they're commonly called sheet cut cards but let's be face it all cards are sheet cut it's were they pack pulled or not so were they sheet cut by the by the manufacturer or were they sheet sheet cut by the secondary market so what are your thoughts on the possibility that there would even be a gem mint Bobby or rookie that would have survived to today in that condition? <laughs> what are your thoughts on these cards that were cut post-production? Well, I can simply leave it to the professionals, which are the grading companies. You know, my opinion is, I don't know if it's cheap cut or not. Um, I actually kind of sort of do i've been around enough that i can really tell you just run your finger down the edge if it's too smooth you can you know you know i was taught by that by a few friends who are collectors and you get to know which is you know a 10 and is it sheet cut is it not i don't know prove it do you have a video you know in today's world we don't um so you just take it for what it is and you know that beckett did for such a time uh allowed sheet cut cards and we do know that but i have they not stopped since then jeremy i don't know i think they have i i believe what i believe they're still the beckett will still grade and slab cards that are you know the sheet cut um when jeremy murray was on the show with me uh, about a month ago now we spoke about this specifically and he said that what he wishes they would have done from the beginning would be to put some additional text on yes. the label that would Perfect. have said sheet cut so Hey, the card is still authentic. It still was printed in 1966 or whatever card we're talking about. So but we're talking money here though. Mm. And that's where things really change a lot. It's sort of like if you have a card, you know, here's a Parker's card from a uh, sports card, uh, sports card issue, you know, from the, uh, from the sixties. Now, okay. Have I fixed this card? No. Did I just straighten the corner out? Cause I had a little dent in it. Did I adjust the card? I don't know. Did I? Yes, I did. Of course I did. So to what degree do we really, we have no governing body. So what degree do we really determine? And we really have to have a sort of consensus um, um, through the hobby. What is, you know, what is a trim card? What is a, a fixed card? You know, if you've trimmed the card, if, it, if you trim the card from the actual card that was cut in the time period, is that a trim card or if you trim it after and perfectly trim it, is it trimmed? So we have a hard time determining that. And I'm really not into, I'm, I'm the hobby historian. As much as I do know about all this other stuff, I kind of stay out of that area. I just really just want to say, Hey, you know, the hobby is what it is. Um, you know, if you want to buy that 9.5 or that 10, feel free to buy it. Um, it's still an original card. It's and up you know, to you to determine, you know, the buyer is uh, is in control of their own wallet and they can do what they wish. Um, you know, it's a perfect looking card and it's Bobby Orr's rookie and it was printed by Topps in 1966. I don't know what more do you want from me? Fair you want me to determine? I'm not the determining factor. I'm here to provide information, but not to not to judge um what is right and what is wrong as much as i'd like to say that you know okay i'm adding the new rookie of uh of um bill barocco um that's about as far as i've ever really taken anything in this hobby i wouldn't take it any further than that i don't think that i want to have that much power that i can do stuff 
but I'd like to know that I have an influence on things that I can, you know, uh, put my voice in there and say, hey, listen, you know, this is what I feel. I don't know what everybody else feels. And we come to a consensus and we can do that. And and we can do this in today's day. You know, we can look at things and say, hey, listen, you know, there's an extra player in this uh, in this card. You know, Gordy Howe's in the background. Geez, he's a great shot at Gordy Howe. And it's a lousy shot at the other guy. Why don't we just, you know, kind of up that, like you said, cameos. We, you know, as we segued into the sort of, I don't know if we <laughs> segue into that, but, you know, that is really important for um, uh, for me. You know, I'm looking at a card and there's Gordy Howe in the background. You know, okay, well, Gordy Howe's rookie's worth this and this guy's worth this, but there's Gordy Howe in the background. So do you add value to that? There's so many little things that we can add to this hobby. And uh, I think going forward, I think we can adjust those things. Yeah. I think we can look at changing some things, but under a consensus. And yeah. I think it has to be a big consensus and not by the grading companies. I think it's by the people. I yeah. think we all have to come to an understanding. I don't know how that works. I don't know how it can work, but I'm, I'm there helping. Yeah. Well, appreciate it. And I mean, I think a lot of it is just sharing information like we're doing here tonight. So yeah, uh, that's important. Getting some information out there, getting some people to consider a, a, a perspective that they may not have considered before. I mean, sure. I've had people say to me that, oh, no, that Gretzky rookie, that's the first print. Uh, how do you know? Because I've been told. Oh, okay. So you don't really know. You're just, you're just, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the funny part is, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people swear at me, you know, it's, it's really kind of funny. It's, it's unbelievable how many people swear at me. I swear my dad got this in 1963. I swear. Not the literal sense, but you know they're they're swearing to me, and I say, well, the ad says 1967. You know, I documented, um, uh, redocumented the uh, the El Producto. It's funny uh, if you look on eBay, it's still 62.3, but it's 67. You know, in the ad, it has that um, that centennial maple leaf on it. Like you can't get away from that. Plus, I found the ad in a 67 Reader's Digest. So, you know, right. you know, and that's that old school again. We're coming into that. They'll still keep the same, but they'll put both in there now because they want to cover both bases because people don't want to change. You know, change is hard. And I understand that, you know, and we're all set in our ways and what have you. You know, I remember growing up and my mom said rainwater is pure. And I fought with my grade nine science teacher that rainwater is pure. You know, it wasn't. Okay. So. I took the shit for it. Yeah. What am I going to do? <laughs> All right. So we've we've touched on grading, and grading was something that I did want to ask you about your your opinion on today, because again, uh, you know, you come, you're 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 more of a vintage guy, and uh, gr and now grading does obviously apply to vintage cards. So let me ask you this: Do you have any graded cards in your personal collection? Uh, at this time, no. You have to understand, my collection is my inventory, and my inventory is my collection. Um, it's been like that with graded cards, graded packs, uh, for quite some time now. Um, I've ventured off into, I think we change every five years or so. Maybe it's a little quicker now, but, uh, every five years you get into something new. Um, you know, first it was wax for me and well, it was cards, then wax, you know, comics, wax, and all this other stuff along the way. And then I got wax and then cards and then, and then you got into display boxes and wrappers and, you know, you keep on getting to these different things and they just, you know, and when you're researching it, you get an emotional attachment because you start realizing how rare they are or, or the history behind them, the artwork. It's just 
beautiful and you get a new appreciation for everything and um especially the merchandise some of the stuff that they created back in the 60s and 70s is just phenomenal like somebody went to that extent just to put a card out of a player on you know on something you know i have i have here uh, oh i got lots of things here anyways um you know york peanut butter 19 in, in the 60s, you know, on the top of their lid, they said, there's there's some cards below. So open your peanut butter jar and pry up the bottom lid and there'll be a few cards in there for you, some octagon cards. And, you know, that was great. It was a great thing. Uh, another way of getting cards, you know, yeah. and this was, this is the way the hobby worked. It, it was, it was just, every company came in at a different angle. So share of coins, put them in, uh, in, in their uh, jello. Uh, it was just, the creativity of back then today it's just not so much creativity but uh you know they're aligning with hey we're with uh weston foods now hey we're with uh frameworth you know yeah uh you know back then they were it was free reign it was really creative yeah. and that's where my appreciation really comes into these companies that went out there and risked uh, a lot just putting a product just for hockey collectors, you know, kind of silly. Well, they, and these were, and you, you write about it, your books documented. These were all premiums to help sell the main item, just like cards at the beginning of time were, were there to help sell cigarettes and the twenties to help sell candy and then yeah. to help, sell, to help sell the gum. I mean, the cards were kind of the, 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 the second thought behind the, 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 the main product nowadays, the cards are the main product and there's licensing fees. And I mean, it's a, it's a whole, it's an industry unto itself when before it was a side industry from really from food and tobacco company. So really, really cool. A few comments I do want to address quickly. I like Landon says the ballpark in Minnesota can't keep enough new packs in stock, six bucks, 30 bucks. Every week, adults and parents with young kids flock in and buy him out. They also pull vintage cards, 60s to 80s, off his $5, 10 $20 bulletin boards to buy as well, which is, I, I think it's great to have cards in uh, sporting arenas, stadiums, ballparks. I think that makes a lot of, a lot of sense to me. Um, you mentioned Sheriff coins, and I don't know a lot about them. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, Hockey Titian wants to know, why are there so many short printed coins in the 1968 Sheriff set? Can you speak to that for a... Wow, yeah, yeah. I've been going over that for years. I don't think we ever really satisfied that. I, I, I truly believe, this is my belief, um, just from my experience, uh, I think those were uh, put in... Um, sort of weird flavors so lime uh jello or uh i don't tapioca you know the things that the, the path less taken so to speak i right. think that's where they came from more than anything else and i think that's why but there's an extension to them that they went from 10 to 15 16 you know they went on and where they added in later uh because you have to understand that's the expansion year so were they kind of going, hey, we got some more players here. We better add some. So we really don't know. Um, really don't know. And 67. Here's the 67 box. That's the expansion year. You know? That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> Look at the artwork. Like, see, how can you not like something like that? It's amazing. Yeah. And all the names of the players, Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe. You know, just the artwork behind it is is phenomenal. Oops. That's amazing. Bobby, you're going to have to sell that to me one day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Let's uh, let's uh, just go on here with a few more comments. Paul, what I really miss about Opeachy was the airbrush jobs for traded players. Yeah. I'm surprised Gretzky in the 88 Opeachy and Tops wasn't an airbrush with now with LA on the photo. I actually like they didn't do that and that they did two different cards, well, two different pictures in Opeachy and yeah. Tops. Like the only yeah. time you had a really a different picture in there. Um, Simon says my well, collection. Actually, there's quite a few different pictures over the years. Uh, there, okay. I yeah, between okay. and tops, and a lot of people look at those uh, because, like I said, tops uh, didn't do the trades. Uh, where OPG January first um, since nineteen fifties, uh, they January first was their release issue. Actually, I talked to the gentleman who drove down in nineteen fifty four. Uh, he worked at OPG. He drove down and picked up the fifty four tops off the train. It was a great conversation. Just, uh, you know, and that was back in two. I don't think he's alive now today, but I mean, just a great, interesting story. I have so many stories. <clears throat> I'm sure. Uh, Simon, I think it's awesome that you plan to hand your collection over to your boys. Um, I also want to bring up, uh, oh, Terry says, Jeremy, do you know how that ore went from to Chicago and back to Jason? Uh, no, Terry, don't even know that it's the same card so far, but I would guess by air or uh air by by air or by vehicle would be my guess possibly train i don't think boat wouldn't make much sense. <laughs> um it's good, question for you. good question for you bobby do you have a favorite food issue or oddball card boy i love so many of them um my favorite i really like the el producto because tobacco was kind of on its way out and El Producto in um, in Christmas of 1967, um, they put out uh, a cigar box with a set of coasters. And that's what, you know, cigars, coasters with a, you know, bourbon or a scotch or a glass of wine. It was perfect, uh, ideal thing to have. And they had some great stars on it. And I think they inserted that in the box. And on the bottom of the box, they put a cutout picture of each player like they were thinking and this was just for christmas honestly like to go to that extent i give them props uh so i would have to stay out productive but i probably think of a couple others that are long very close but you know such a great issue yeah. okay awesome so um there's a term i think I, there's a term that i've referred to myself in the hobby. I've used it when I've been talking to other collectors and, and people in the, in the hobby. And I believe you're the one that first said it to me and it stuck with me. And the term is um, manufactured scarcity. So I think what you're referring to is, you know, cards that are worth a lot of money now that are vintage, let's say, are worth so much because no one knew at the time that they were going to become nostalgic in the future. You all, you, you, you you also said something to me last night that I thought was. Do you remember the the, the quote you said last night that I I, I mentioned to you? I, I wanna I'm gonna write this down because I think it's a great quote. I'll let you say it if you remember what it is. And I, I think there's no nostalgia in uh, in the present. I think. Was yes. That it? Yeah. That's it. You said there's no nostalgia in the present because I asked you last night. I said, Bobby, you know all these cards and items are worth so much because everyone threw them out back in the day, that extra checklist that you just threw in the garbage because it was a waste of a card because you already had the checklist, you didn't need it. You threw it out. Now checklists can be sometimes worth more than any other card in the set, or you know, yes. in some cases they can be the second or third most valuable card in a set True. in high grade with without checks on them. They became worth so much because we didn't respect them back then. Mothers threw them out, we played with them, we damaged them, et cetera, et cetera. That to me is called like um, natural scarcity or organic scarcity or whatever you want, true scarcity, something like that. 
And now we have what you refer to as manufactured scarcity when the card companies basically say, hey, we're only making 10 copies of this card and we're going to put one of 10, two of 10, et cetera. Or there's only a, they're one of ones. Um, you know, and up until recently, I believed that, you know, organic scarcity was more important and would carry more value into the future. But we've recently seen, and I mean very recently, like in the last couple months, where manufactured scarcity has overtaken in terms of value with that Mike Trout Superfractor one of one from 2009 selling for $3.84 which would beat the record of the Honus Wagner, which is your organic scarcity. Can Can you just sort of like... Give us your your thoughts on that shift that really, I would say, just happened in terms of that record being broken by a modern-day card that is manufactured to one copy. And I'm not saying manu- manufactured scarcity is a bad thing, and I don't think you are either. I mm-hmm. think I think I, I but I do want to hear you your your thoughts on this this topic. Yeah, that's a really tough topic to uh, discuss. Um, you know, we have personal feelings about a lot of different things. I think that this part of the hobby, uh, where it's manufactured scarcity, um, they're doing this with specific intent, where the intent was not given before, where the intent is directly derived. But the intent isn't just of the company. I have to say it is of the collector. Um, or maybe even I can even extend that and say it was. it's the investor. Are we away from the collector and into the investor at this point because to beat a honus wagner huh, or a or a mantle rookie 10 9 you know beating those prices boy that's you know that's something and that just tells you what's going on in the hobby today that just means that there's a lot of clout in today's collectors and with the cards that they're ma- they're making um, you know, this is an exorbitant amount of money, I understand, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, there is an underbidder or two or three, and, you know, that's what determines everything. It wasn't just one person doing a buy it now. It was uh, open auction. And to see it go like that, that just um, enforces that the hobby is alive and well today, as it is yesterday, yesteryear, what have you. You know, whether you're into vintage or new, um, we're all in the hobby. We're all sharing information. We're all having fun in this hobby. Who doesn't wake, want to wake up to a treasure hunt every morning? I, uh, not me. You know. That was my other favorite quote from our discussion last night that I wrote down. <laughs> I, I got one more quote. You know, is my wife. <laughs> my wife. But the hobby is my mistress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, my wife has been so great with you know letting me do what I do. And the hobby has just been uh, a great thing for me. Uh, it's it's made me meet a lot of friends. It's made me um, appreciate uh, history. I got his. I got sixty in history in high school because I hated history. You know who knew? You know that you'd ever end up. I never planned it. It was osmosis. I just hey, I wanted to fix that, and I fixed that, and then you keep fixing things, and all of a sudden you don't plan on being a historian. You just kind of end up being there eventually one day. And now I'm on your show talking as a historian, and I just love sharing information with people. And I think people are the key, and I'm just the hobby sponge that makes everything um, kind of come together uh, through books and uh, and a soon to see uh, website and app. Yeah. For sure. Simon says manufactured scarcity is in a modern says. hobby. What's that? Simon says. Simon says. <laughs> <laughs> We're all people, right? 
Simon's very active in, in, on this show, and uh, I say that quite often. And I've never really picked up on that before, Bobby. So he says, manufactured scarcity is is in the modern hobby. Example, prison basketball, serially numbered parallels. But there are 40 different parallels where vintage sets, there was one rookie card of a player. 100% bang on correct. Uh, Dave says, is that an Opeachy shirt? That's awesome. The one uh, just behind you there, Bobby? As you can, as you well know, it's a towel. Towel. Large, actually, extra large. Uh, um, I think it's called a beach towel. It's it's very very large. And that's an I original. Have, uh, I actually have uh, a jersey from the OPG hockey team. Um, they started in 1979 and they finished in 1979. <laughs> a bunch of drunkards getting together. Having uh, my friend actually designed, he worked at Opeachy and his mother did for many, many years. Uh, he designed the logo. I have the original artwork and everything. Um, he designed that and they said they just played uh, other, you know, it was like a, 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 a factory league kind of whatever, you know, they just all yeah. kind of came together and they said they were horrible, lasted one year and they were out. So at least I have one jersey from that, you know, and the bat towel, I guess, which they cried on afterwards. So. Well, more items on my want list, Bobby. So we'll have to, yeah. when you, you just let me know when you're ready, my man. Just let me know when you're ready. <laughs> sure enough. We have some wows. Name says, wow. Now that's something I didn't expect to see. Cool. Me too. Didn't know that existed. My my, my mouth, my, my jaw dropped when you just showed that. I think that's really cool. Um, Hockey Titian says, will the Vintage Hockey Collector Forum ever be back online? Now, I is the, is, uh, I, is he referring to the one that Jim Francis was running that he's now kind of moved over to Facebook in a Facebook group? And I don't think he will be reviving the forum. At least last time I asked him, he said he would not be reviving the forum and he would just move to Facebook. So I think there's your there's your answer. Yeah. Uh, Dave says, how is Michael Jackson's face not on that jersey? Well, that was 1979. That might be how, <laughs> right? Dave, uh, maybe a little bit early for MJ. And well, MJ as if it's Michael Jordan for Michael Jackson. Um, yes, that one. Okay, good. So yeah, you heard my answer to that. As far as I know that Paul says thriller came out later. Yes, it did. But boy, would that be, uh, yeah, now we know what their logo would be. That's for sure. <laughs> we have a question here from dusty dusty. Welcome says, speaking of graded packs, I remember how the 1979 tops hockey was being resealed and sold on eBay. Never buy opened or graded 79 tops hockey packs. Well, what about those that are slabbed by PSA and any pack that's slabbed by PSA has been looked at by Steve Hart of Baseball Card Exchange. He's Steve Hart of Baseball Card Exchange is the hobbies expert on un, on untampered unopened packs and anything that's been slabbed he has looked at and he's not affiliated with PSA except for the fact that they go to him because he's the expert as and at least that was the case last time I spoke to anybody. Yeah, there's a lot of experts out there, you know, and, uh, you know, I wrote a book on hockey wax and I wrote on how, what to look for. And, uh, uh, you know, I really know my wax and I know the guys at my booth. We knew wax better than most, I would say. Uh, you know, Steve does know his wax very well and we all learn uh, along the way. Uh, the 79, see, there's a thing with uh, between Opeachy and Tops. Opeachy had uh, less wax opposed to tops having more wax. Uh, it was hard to see the roller seals on not said not just 79 other packs uh, that uh, tops put out because the thicker wax, the roller seal that went across, it was a heated roller seal. So it would seal the wax. 
Um, and when it's rolling across and it's going fast, um, a side note on that is Opeachy, they would make bonus for making more boxes. Every case that they would make, you remember seeing the cases go off the line there in the video, um, they would make more. So they would kind of turn up the machine to go faster and faster and faster. If Tops did that, it wouldn't get a great seal. So it's very hard to see the, the roller seals. It, you know, the heat wasn't appropriate and it's very hard to tell. It's a little bit easier for me to tell, but I mean, for the average person, it's very hard to tell. Um, so 79 is, or 78, whatever year, uh, between Tops and Opeachy. Opeachy is very easy to tell because of the thinner wax coating on the wrapper and uh, Tops is um, a, a little bit harder to see those roller lines. And it's not even just the roller lines, there's other things to look for too. You know, if you're gonna get into wax, uh, get to know your wax. Um, yeah, I think sure. that's really important. Or with anything collectible you're getting into, make sure you know what you're buying. Um, and that education is uh, is out there and prevalent for anybody who wants to look and ask questions. Um, and I'll be more than glad to help you, uh, uh, coach you through whatever you need to know about wax. Um, and I have a lot of experience with it. That's that's great advice to to you know study it, get to know it, and and seek advice from people that you consider to be experts. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby would should certainly be considered among them. I do want to say one thing though about Dusty's comment. I've never, I don't like the final sentence. Never buy opened or graded seventy nine tops hockey pack. So when you, uh, Dusty, when you say opened, you mean well they're already open, so why not buy them because you can see what's inside. But when you say graded, to 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 tell the hobby never to buy them. I think you're doing an extreme disservice because now you're taking out all the good ones, all the ones that are not tampered with or haven't been opened and resealed. There are still some unopened packs that are that were not opened, the good card taken out and uh, resealed and then slabbed. And especially if they've been slabbed by PSA and they've gotten through uh, Steve Hart, another expert in the hobby, um, I would say I would I would encourage you to buy unopened packs that are graded in a PSA slab. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, um, you know, I guess it in for full transparency, I own several of those. I actually have a complete run of unopened Opeachy packs from 1970 through 1989, all the series ones, twos, the WHAs, all that. And I have bought them. Most of them came directly from Steve Hart at the national in Chicago in well, wherever I've seen him at all the nationals. And, um, and I, I, I trust that they are not tampered with. So I don't have any evidence on that, but I mention it because I, I want to be transparent here on, on this show and say that, you know, I, I don't think that's a, a fair comment because you are now taking out all the good ones. You're it's kind of like when 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 new tax laws are introduced and they they catch what they want to catch, but they cast such a wide net that they catch other things they didn't intend to catch and that causes problems. A statement like that causes problems in my opinion i think the real statement is just be very careful and uh do your research and 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 get advice from people whose opinions you respect bobby anything else on that yeah a little addendum to uh that but just to go back to dusty's question i think he meant to say unopened not just not opened because it makes no sense you know why would you buy a open well that's what yeah. it is right there i think he meant to say unopened or 79 or, uh, or or he meant a box that's been opened and here's some packs maybe in, in any event but i think sure. i think you're right unopened i think i think is what what he would meant to say and um you know the addendum is um 
you know, there was a there's a few known resealers out there. In '79, was um, there was a large uh, group of uh, uncut wrappers uh, from '79 tops that were found uh, 15 years ago, at least. And uh, a person from the uh, uh, southeastern uh, United States was a known resealer. And he was known for doing the 79. So he put a lot of bogus stuff out there for many years. And I think it's been filtered through, through Steve, you know, knowing uh, that, you know, what to look for in this one guy. And um, and that was pretty prevalent for a long time. And then it's sort of dropped off since then. Um, but now we're at a pretty secure point. Now we have Steve there. He's, he's, he's really good at what he does, um, you know. And uh, there's a lot of other people who are really good at uh, looking at wax. Um, you know, basically, I can hold a pack and basically feel how the tautness of it is without even looking. And that will give me my first clue um, because it should be wrapped a certain way. Uh, it was always very consistent. Um, so it is, like I said, going back to what I said before, it's good to know your wax. Um, good to know your, especially wax. Wax and autographs, you know, those are the two big things in the hobby, right? And you know what? Just to 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 set everyone everyone's mind at ease a little bit, I as a collector of the unopened packs, I once had a I've had a couple doubles along the way, and I've had them in my showcases at Expo. And guess who bought them from me? That guy. So if this, I'm trying to get my finger right. If this guy is going to buy them from me, uh, and and he knows his wax, he's not going to buy them from me if he thinks they were tampered with. So. I think that's a that should be comforting to people who are collecting slabbed unopened packs, and I would recommend slabbed. Simon says, <laughs> Simon says, now I'm never going to get that out of my oh, head, Bobby. Sorry. <laughs> says I personally would only buy PSA BGS authentic pack authenticated packs. I believe GAI also does them. Is that correct? Yeah, I sent all my stuff into GAI over the years, um, and that's lots of packs. I bought many many boxes full and sent them to GAI. So there's a lot of great GAI. You know, Steve Rocky and those guys kind of knew their stuff. Um, you know, nobody knows 100% whether a wax pack is sealed. Nobody knows 100% unless you see somebody sign something. You know, we have to take the trust that, you know, the signs are all there. Um, the experts um, have determined what is good and what is bad. Um, so, you know, don't be dismissive of uh, GAI because one of those packs could be mine. You know, one of the, a lot of the GAIs, the Mr. Million Dollar Wax Find, um, you know, they're all GAI and those packs are good because that guy knows and I know yeah. him. Oh, so, hey, you know, and that's some big wax that we're talking about. You know, the million dollar fine, you know, you can tell you how much money that's involved. So, yeah. yeah. So there you go, Simon. You can add, I think you can add GAI to your, if you, if you want GAI, uh, you know, slabs in your collection, I, you know, some you can of buy them and, and resell them and resubmit them, you know, yeah. just the, the, the better holder. Although I don't think it's a better holder personally, I'm, I'm just going to be, hey, yeah. this is a talk show and I'm going to be honest, I'm, I think the holders damage them more than, you know, because the gum's sliding around. They have to secure them. I always said, put them in a team bag, tighten it up really tight and put them in there. I said that to GAI before and I said that to PSA before they did it and they never did it. And you have to seal that pack so that gum doesn't make around. Because you ever see a PSA 9 with 18 gum holes down the side? There yeah. you go. I've said there you, you know what? I actually... 
had had a friend over earlier today and I showed him some of my unopened packs and uh, and he said, hey, can I turn it over? And it's slabbed in the PSA holder. I said, you can, but do it slowly because I'm, I know that that gum is loose in there. So yes. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. It kind of, uh, you know, it's just confirms so what, I, what I was saying. Um, Al is a, is a buddy of mine and a regular viewer. He has a question uh, about something about a CFL product and we're running out of Bobby. We're going to wrap this up in five minutes. So I'm going to put this one on the sure. screen and ask you to address it as quickly as you can. Do sure. you think something like the 1963 post serials Canadian professional football album could work in today's marketplace, especially for young collectors Too basic after all the color parallels and cards uh, thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. CFL is not my strong suit, but it is a Canadian issue. Um, I, could it work in today's market? I, I I don't know exactly what you're saying, but I don't know if it really could. I, I think they're basically doing that today is they're doing uh, parallels because there's versions and variations of, you uh, know, short prints and all those things. So they're all there today as they were in yesteryear. So I think, would it work in today's market? I think it is working in today's market. I think it's even working to beyond the point that we even know that it's working. Well, the the CF Upper Deck does a CFL product, and it it actually does pretty well from what I've been told by Upper Deck. But I think that's probably enough for the CFL uh, collector hobby, I, I, and I, that's a big assumption. I admit it. I just I guess I'm speaking a bit biased because I personally have zero interest in it. It's I don't even watch CFL. I I, I wouldn't really care if it disappeared. Um, no offense to CFL or the players, it just doesn't interest me as a, as a sports fan. Um, and I've never I should say never. <laughs> I, you know what i mean people come up yeah. to me at the at card shows at well in canada and they say do you have any cfl and i say oh are you looking for the new stuff or the old stuff and they want the old stuff for the most part but i do know there are some there i do know some collectors who love the modern cfl cards that upper deck puts out and i think that's awesome i just don't know that that kids are really going to get into it unless you are in those how many cities have cfl teams nowadays there are only eight teams in the league so I don't see it uh, really being being something that is going to be worth it for any big company to do other than Upper Deck with what they're doing. No, in the future. But I mean, for history, uh, just a quick uh, mention on that. You know, you know, it's funny. You're not interested in something until you come across it or, or get it in a massive deal or something. And you go, hey, I got these 63 CFL packs. And you're, now you're into CFL. How did that happen? Yeah. Because you have a vested interest in it. And sure. it becomes and you get emotional about that stuff. And uh, honestly, it you know, the, the post cereal was on cereal boxes and on the backs panels and, you know, on the front panels and stuff like that. So, yeah. Cool. Simon says, I like GAI. No disrespect. Just meant I only buy authenticated packs of the reputable graders. Fair comment, Simon. And didn't take it as a disrespect thing at all. Just just was adding some information that I'm aware of GAI. And I know that because I've seen them at Bobby's booth uh, over the years. Um, okay. Bobby, we're gonna wrap, we're gonna start to wrap this up. Wrapping up can take a couple minutes for me, so we're gonna start to wrap this up. Um, <clears throat> first, before we do, Carlos says, "Gasp! Careful if you go near Saskatchewan with that CFL indifference talk. They get protective. I know they do, and I love bugging my my high school buddies that are from Saskatchewan that still love their Rough Riders." Um, Paul, okay, Paul says, "Are there any Grails left for Bobby?" So try and do this quick, Bobby. We got about two minutes. Uh, grails. There's always grails. There's uh, so many um, things that I'm looking for that I have pictures of. Um, uh, I can't really name too many off uh, offhand. Uh, you know, the 63, uh, 623 uh, Toronto Maple Belief plaque that has uh, players' pictures. I have a lot of original uh, photos um, 
uh, from the souvenir booths, and uh, that is my thing. Uh, grails for cards, not not necessarily. Uh, my favorite card of all time is uh, is the um, is the Stanley Cup card from the 1924. Um, uh, I can't even think of the name now. No. Card, I can't think of it either. But I can. Oh pick my gosh, uh, Hamilton? No, not Hamilton. Um, not Patterson? No, it's not Patterson's. Not Patterson. It's the Hamilton. Uh, the uh, Anyways, that's my favorite card of all time, and it's part of a premium card. It's not, uh, you know, it was in the uh, in the cigarette pack. So, okay, champs, champs, champs. Oh my god, there it is. There it is. My favorite card of all time. That is a holy grail for me. Although I've owned one, but that was beat up, and I, I I always wanted a really nice one. But there's so many other holy grails in the souvenir section because that's where my focus mainly is. Because we've satisfied most of the um, uh, the, the major card uh, market uh, history. Awesome. Okay, Bobby. I think uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the questions and comments for there. Um, I want to take an opportunity to thank you again for coming on the show, Bobby. It's an, it, it really is a, a, an honor to, to add you to the library of shows on, in, in, the, in the history of Sports Cards Live. Um, you, you've been a target guest of mine since the day I, I dreamed this thing up. And uh, it's nice to have you on. Um, obviously, your insights are, are valuable and interesting. And um, it's been it's been a pleasure chatting with you, spending a couple hours with you uh, over the last couple of days. So I just want to thank you for taking the time. Thank you for providing your being available for the audience, and um, really just uh, thank you. What else can I say, man? It, it's been great. I look forward to seeing you at the next expo. Hopefully that comes up soon, and we can we can uh, rub shoulders there again. Who knows? Hopefully next spring by then uh, we'll be able to do that. And um, I want to thank everybody watching for, for tuning in, for all the comments and questions. Another great episode. Uh, keep in mind, everybody, in about a half an hour's time, I will be back on the air with my friend Brian Palmer. And we are going to do the after hours version of Sports Cards Live, where I sit back, we chill, we relax, and we just kind of freestyle for a bit. We have a couple things we're going to talk about. We will debrief this episode, talk a little bit about it, a little bit about it, and our big takeaways from this episode, among other things. I got to I had a big Com C order come in this week, so I'm going to show the cards that came in there. Lots of cool modern inserts that Bobby would love, I'm sure. And um, yeah. so that's great. Uh, thanks everybody for watching, Bobby. Parting words from you, and then we're gonna we're gonna move along. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Um, it's really good. I, I really love the questions. I think they were things that, that are in the hobby that we really needed to ask publicly. I've never really come on publicly to any. Um, you know, I think your show is great. I think it's going a lot more places than you may think it, it it's really a necessity uh that we get people out there they get people sharing information and uh i think it's uh something i think it's the next stage in is this a podcast i don't know what we call this i think we were talking about that yesterday is is it a podcast i think this is the major podcast of uh of the next um uh generation of people i think that you know we're talking about the hobby we're talking with veterans we're talking with new people who are collecting it's a great uh, a great show that we're all together in this hobby and uh and it's a wonderful place and and it's fun to share information Thanks, i agree everybody. yeah thank you bobby it's important to share information it's what i do this for and uh so having a guy like you on is great i'll run through the parting comments legion thank you for the round of applause as always carlos thank you for tuning in my friend uh, Simon, 
Thanks, Bobby. Good stuff. I can't I can't disagree with that at all. Name says, thanks a lot, guys. Great show. I feel a lot more knowledgeable now. Thank you, Name. I'm glad you feel that. That's awesome. Terry says, thanks for teaching me a little bit more hobby history. And I think we all thank you for that, Bobby. Uh, Dave Weir says, thanks, guys. Fun listening to this. Adam, great show, guys. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, Adam, for tuning in, everybody. It's been a lot of fun. Bobby, thanks again, guys. I'll be back on in about 28 minutes with Brian Palmer for After Hours. We will see you then if you're going to stay up that late. If not, we'll see you again next Wednesday when Stephen LaRoche is joining me and then Chris Carlin on next Saturday. Bobby, please stay right there for a moment. Everybody else, good night. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.